This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. Today on Valley Views, we're visiting with Ron Thomason. Ron is president of the board of High Mountain Hay Fever Bluegrass and fronts one of the two host bands, Dry Branch Friar Squad. Under full disclosure, I also serve on the board of High Mountain Hay Fever. Ron has also raised and trained horses, and he also makes hay. We've interviewed Ron before on Bluegrass and the Festival, but today we want to explore that topic of hay, which is an important uh, crop right here in the valley. Ron, welcome back to Valley Views. Gary, thanks a lot. I really appreciate the chance to be here and do something that doesn't have to do with music. During one of your interviews, and this is a catalyst for this interview, you mentioned Bill Monroe uh, sometimes uh, appeared aloof to people, and, and you said, you know, they always want to talk to him about bluegrass, but if you talk to him about his horses or his dogs, he, he would open up. So that's what we're doing today. We're getting away from the bluegrass and talking about something that's very important to the valley right here. Well, let me make this clear. I'm no Bill Monroe, <laughs> but uh, actually, Bill was a hard worker. He built all his own fences, and he did make hay, and when I first met him, he was putting it up in hay stacks. Oh, so is that right? Yeah. Bill, was, Bill was the real McCoy. <laughs> now, now, generally, I feel like I have a pretty good background on topics we discuss in this program, but I'll have to say uh, this is well out of my wheelhouse to talk about hay, and I'm looking forward to it. So tell us a bit about hay and its importance to this valley. Well, I I kind of follow it in this valley. I, I'd like to say that the importance of hay is a metaphor to the way the country has changed, say, in the last several decades. Uh, that's where I'd like to start because I think everybody that's old enough to make hay probably remembers a time in this country when you could drive from coast to coast and during the haymaking season you could see square bales laying in the fields all over this country Mm -hmm. and then there came a time about not too long ago when you could drive through the same country and then you'd see round bales sitting in the field And uh, to me, one of the most important changes in what's happened to the United States of America is summed up in that big change, because here's the deal. If a person's making square bales, which we call custom bales of hay in the business, they need some help, generally. In fact, one of the reasons I make hay is because I like to handle every bale four or five times. I have a stacker, but I've never used it yet. But if you're making it commercially and not for fun like I do, there was a time when youngsters in this country would work on those hay wagons. And Mm -hmm. they'd stack it and they'd lift it and they'd help take it to the barn. Because a farmer really couldn't do all that by himself at a commercial level. But then there came a time when people quit working. I remember quite well, I was making hay in Ohio and I couldn't find any kids to work on the wagon, and uh, the signal to me was one day I was making that hay all by myself and stacking it by hand, and two boys came walking across the field, and they said, you look like you could use some help, sir. I said, I sure can. And so I hired them on the spot, and they were stacking hay and uh, taking it to the barn for me, 
After about three hours, this mad-looking lady came walking across <laughs> the field. It was the mother of one of the boys and got on their case so bad for degrading themselves to work on that wagon. <laughs> and I think that's a, that kind of signaled to me the time when kids quit working and parents were part of the problem. <laughs> so um, the deal on round bales is this. Farmer can make a round bale by himself, mm-hmm. and he can kind of move it around by himself. But the quality of hay, although they found ways to make it pretty good, is never going to be quite as good as those custom bales because, long and the short of it is, a lot of those round bales just sit out in the sun and get bleached out and get rained on, and the uh, the uh, uh, proteins and, and the, the uh, Actually, the nutrients kind of leach out with the rains. And this is a pretty good place to not have that happen. But, of course, <laughs> you don't get three or four cuts of hay here like you do in some parts of the country. That's, that's true. That's so true. I haven't said my part about the politics of haymaking. I'll try to answer any questions. I didn't realize we were going to get philosophical quite so quickly, <laughs> but uh, I, always, I always appreciate that. Hey, this is an uppity radio station. Oh, we got to. <laughs> absolutely. Let me ask, you mentioned the uh, sort of the seasonal cycle. What's it, what's it like in the valley? Do you get... Uh, one or one or two. How does it work? Well, it all depends on water, of course, and depends on the type of hay that's being made. A lot of people in the valley that I see are making uh, grass hay, various kind of grasses. Some of them make uh, native grass hay, and many of them are pretty proud of the fact that they don't use chemicals, pesticides, and and uh, sometimes not even extra nutrients. There are there are a few critical elements like boron that's a little bit short here in this valley Mm -hmm. on the grass and stuff but then a lot of people make alfalfa hay one of the things that i've found most interesting about this area is that the native grasses come about as close in protein content here as alfalfa has it's not quite as high but it's pretty high Mm -hmm. and for uh, of course i've always made for horses there's a lot of people like to sell here what they call cow hay, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a that's if they're not getting a good cut or maybe they get rained on things like that. But it's always best to to make your hay really well and good and dry, and keep it that way, and you can get a better price for it. What is the Wet Mountain Valley hay known for? Is is there such a is, this, is there such a thing? Well, in my mind, not being from here and seeing the difference in the native grasses, I like the higher protein content of the native grasses. And and I think that that's probably indicative of the whole valley. That changes in different parts of the country, of course. Mm -hmm. There's a difference in, in cultivating hay and making hay. And people who cultivate hay commercially... They're the growers, they're the seeders, the people that are... Uh, I, I have a friend that's really on the cutting edge of this. He, he bought a, a plow from Europe that doesn't disturb the ground. <laughs> it's the most amazing <laughs> thing. It, it plows under the ground and saves the varmints and stuff that live under there, worms and things, that, and all the nutrients in the ground and, and actually kind of collects water just beneath the ground. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, is a real advanced 
sort of environmentally friendly way to make hay, to make grasses. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting mottos of being in this uh, part of the country is that so many ranchers, cattlemen, and uh, their motto always seems to be <laughs> cattlemen is really a, a grower of grass. That's their <laughs> primary crop. <laughs> So let me ask, uh, as I uh, did a little research for this, I found things like Timothy and alfalfa, orchard, different different names of different kinds of grass. Do people in the valley here um, go to that extent, or basically you water it and whatever comes up is what you're after? <laughs> That's good. Well, when you water it and whatever comes up, it's usually a weed. <laughs> <laughs> I do know one hay grower who actually takes scissors out and cuts the weeds individually. (laughs) Uh, Well, there are different kinds of grasses. When you mentioned alfalfa, you're talking about not what's not grass, and those are called legumes, uh, like Mm -hmm. clover and alfalfa, a little bit higher in protein. Different kinds of hay and different kinds of grasses all have different kinds of purposes when it comes to feeding. And so mostly in this part of the country, from what I've seen, people are raising hay for either cattle or horses. But mm-hmm. there are some that uh, raise it for goats, some for sheep. But the differences in, for instance, let's say you, if you have cattle and they're on pasture, you treat those different than pa- cattle that don't have pasture. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to have to rely more on hay. Uh, horse people, for instance, if there there are some hard-working horses that need a lot of protein and they use a lot of energy, especially horses that work hard or are show horses or race horses. And so one of the things you try to do is grow hay that they can munch on longer and get more of, but not that it just runs through them, that they don't mm-hmm. colic from it, that they don't get too much to eat, they don't have too much protein. Because horses get a certain amount of comfort out of just eating. Where cattle, for instance, will eat a while and then they get comfort out of chewing their cud, for instance, Mm -hmm. and digesting it. So all those different kinds of things play into making hay. Well, I appreciate you mentioning, because one of the questions I had written down is, (laughs) as, as a boy from Cleveland, Ohio... I needed the difference between uh, cow hay and horse hay because I figured there was something. But you've you've uh, you've done that now. Locally, are all the hay fields irrigated? I mean, I, my guess is they would be. Well, no. Okay. Not all of them are. You can usually tell if they are by they'll have the irrigation equipment right out in the field, mm-hmm. and a lot in the valley are. I have seen that, but there's there's a lot up in the mountains that or not oh, that would make sense yeah and there's the one of the uh, one of the fields that i make is actually uh the uh the water all comes from underground it's mm. just uh, there's water underground and it feeds the hay and uh it uh, it doesn't really rely on rain at all so it may be a fen kind of uh situation where the water table is very close to the surface well, sometimes it is. I, I drove into one place last year where my tractor was wobbling back and forth like it was on the ocean. But uh, I think sometimes it can be a little deeper than that. It, it's uh, the, the the fire scar, by the way, over uh, around Cotopaxi and Howard and Coldown, places like that, 
has changed the nature of the hay in the hay field simply by how the water drains from mm-hmm. those fires up in there. I don't know if that's affected the valley itself because I don't think the fires have come down quite this far south. But if they have, I, I haven't talked to anybody that said that uh, they're getting, they were washed out, say, by mm-hmm. so much water running through. Because it can have a lot of sand and rock and things like that in it, too. That's true. Uh, if a if a neophyte like myself wanted to get into the hay business, what kind of equipment would it take? I mean, <laughs> beyond having having the property in the field and all that. Well, the primary equipment that you, you want to have is uh, dollar bills, <laughs> <laughs> because the old saying goes that if you want to just be in the hay business, uh, the best way to end up with a million dollars is to start with two million. They they say that about folk singing too. Oh yeah, so, but nobody in the folk singing business would recognize the number million. No, that's true. <laughs> the equipment that you need, aside from a tractor, let's say, if you're going to do mm-hmm. this with some ease, because you got to have something that, uh, that has a motor on it, is you need some kind of cutter. And and cutters have changed a lot in the last two or three years, but. Uh, my favorite kind of a cutter is a little bit of a traditional thing, and it's uh, something that uh, also crimps the hay when it runs through there. So you cut the grasses, and they're pushed back through the the cutter, of whatever it could be. Let's say some of them are called hay binds, and then it runs through some uh, wheels that sort of mash it together, and then it comes out just like a flat piece of old grass put together, and that's called being crimped. And then once that dries, and out here sometimes it only takes a day or two, then you put it in windrows. A lot of people like to, I like to run my windrows together where I might have one row where I've cut. I might row one to the left and one to the right, and then that helps me bail. But if you do that, you need a pretty good baler. Mm -hmm. If you're going to have a sort of a, a used bale or something that's not a real reliable piece of equipment. It's best just to make each cut row into one windrow. So you need a rake to put those windrows either together or to make one for the bale to go over. And then you need a baler, unless you just want to put it up in haystacks or leave it loose. And there's several kinds of balers as well. Uh, the big heavy-duty balers run at about a thousand rpms the ones that put the big um, the round bales and the humongous square bales the custom uh, balers you can run with a tractor that has a 540 rpm uh, <laughs> pto power takeoff I, <laughs> I know what they are but i can't think of them so fast and so if you had those pieces of equipment you can make hay okay uh, let me ask this year has been particularly dry how did the uh folks deal with that uh, critical issue and if we had a continued drought uh, three four or five years what would that do to the valley here very sadly and very timely that you asked this because let us not forget that one of the things that's standing over the the farmers and uh, ranchers of the west right now is the possibility of tariffs and so in that event, they'll be asked to take tariffs. They're going to pay those as well. Mm. But the first thing that happens is actually you need to manage the number of animals you have. And so many, many ranchers have real good ranchers that follow the science and the business of ranching. 
who are raising cattle, for instance, they may have a, a deadline sale date on when they've got to sell off some cattle or move them to another state or something to get them fed or to purchase enough hay to keep them fed, which, of course, is an additional expense if they were used to having them uh, eat off pasture. And, and those are, these are brutal judgments that they have to make in a drought like this where they may not be able to get hay and they may not have grass. When they sell is a real key issue of how their business is going to operate mm-hmm. because they have to reduce herds. And part of the problem of reducing herds is then how do you grow your herd back up when you have rain? So this is obviously a critical uh, critical question. So uh, we're uh, running short of time. Time moves quickly when you're uh, learning new things. So I appreciate that. How about coming back uh, just ahead of uh, bluegrass and telling us uh, about what's going to happen in July? First of all, I'd be honored to do it. And secondly, I'd like to say this, Gary. I'm not the smartest guy about haymaking because I obviously do it as a hobby. I'm a hobby farmer now. I did it for a living for 25 years. But I think you've done a great service to this community for people that don't make hay and don't raise animals to get it out there of how difficult it is to make a living raising cattle, ranching, Mm -hmm. and farming. Well, thanks for uh, enlightening us today. We've been visiting with uh, Ron Thomason on Making Hay. We'll see you next time on Valley Views. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Send your ideas and comments to comments at klzr.org. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM. I'm walking on a rainbow with my feet on solid ground.